acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm just a poor and stranger. Welcome to Death, Grief, and Other Shit We Don't Discuss. I'm Kyle McMahon. I woke up early and I immediately thought of her. I actually could feel her with me. It's not a feeling I can explain easily, but I just felt her presence with me, as if she was in the room next to me. In fact, I felt her presence so strongly that I actually thought to myself, I wonder if she's slipped out of consciousness and now she's just with me right now. I had read somewhere in my Google marathoning that Towards the end of life, some may slip in and out of consciousness, and in some other readings that I found, I read that sometimes it's believed that they can put their conscious in another place, almost like they're transporting somewhere else. And I realize that sounds unbelievable, but there are numerous accounts of people saying just that. And since I could feel her with me now, that's what went through my mind. Then like I did every morning since the day she was diagnosed, I texted her good morning. Immediately, my dad called me, and I knew. Kyle, she passed. And there was a complete and total silence for a moment. Okay, I said. What do you say to that? My entire world had ripped open with those three words. No matter how prepared you think you are, you aren't. The world has suddenly become a darker place. My light had burned out. The worst thing for me that could ever happen has just happened. And strangely, I was calm. While I knew it was coming, I was still in shock. When you actually hear those words... It knocks you off your feet 
She passed. Dad asked me to give him a bit of time to get her cleaned up before I came over. I hung up with him and then I calmly went downstairs and went out on the balcony with Blue, just trying to process it all. I didn't even know what to think, what to do. I was in a fog. A few minutes later, Aunt Kim came out on the balcony and I just immediately blurted out to her, Mom passed. Kim immediately began sobbing and ran into the living room, falling down on the ground, supporting herself on the chair. I went over to her and hugged her. She was crying out, Not my Joanne, no! Not her! Not my Joanne! All I could say was, Kim, she's not in pain anymore. And I was telling myself that, too. I was trying to justify it. Explain it away. Make it not feel like there's a giant knife in my heart and I'm just bleeding out. At this point, I still wasn't really crying, although tears were welling up over Kim's devastation. I think I was still in shock. Kim and I hugged, and then we both cried together. This was hard. Really, really hard. Harder than you can ever prepare yourself for. Mom had touched so many lives that this was bound to be a rough ride for a lot of people. After a while, Kim got ready to go over to my parents, and before she left, she asked me if I wanted to go alone or ride with her. I needed some time, so I told her I would meet her there. I took a really long time to get ready. In fact, I took so long that I wasn't sure if I'd ever actually be ready. How does one get ready to see their mom who had just passed away? Does it matter what you wear? Does it matter what you look like? Do you fix your hair? Do I switch out of this t-shirt into something else? All of these thoughts were running through my mind. What do I do? I guess in reality, in many ways, I was simply delaying seeing her like that. I would have done anything in that moment not to be in that position. But I was. When I finally made my way over there, Aunt Kathy and Kim were already there. Dad was coming outside and he had gave me this giant hug and kiss and we held that hug for a few moments. I asked him where he was going. He said he was going to take Mom's car to get air in the tires because he's going to start driving it. And at first I thought that was odd, but then I realized he probably needs some time to get away from the house and the entire situation. And he was doing it constructively by getting something done that would keep one of his attachments with mom going. As dad drove off in mom's car, I went into my parents as I had a thousand times before. But this time was different. It just felt different. This time it felt cold, uninviting, sad. Something was obviously very, very wrong and I knew just what it was
My Aunt Kathy and Kim were upstairs with my Uncle Tom and my cousin TJ, but I couldn't go upstairs yet. I couldn't walk up those stairs that I had done so many times before, where I was greeted with her smile or a kiss or a hug, because that smile wasn't going to be there this time. That smile wasn't going to be there anymore. And that's something that I just couldn't face yet. Of course, the reality of the situation is that it's something I did have to face. I could go upstairs and see her, or I could give up the last chance to see my mom in our house. I prolonged it. I sat on the couch in my parents' living room in an absolute daze. I was simply a shell. My physical body was there, but my mind wasn't. It was like I was literally unable to process this. Like my mind couldn't handle it. It had to shut off. At some point, Aunt Kathy or Kim had called me from upstairs, and I went up to my mom's extra room, and I made sure that my eyes didn't go towards my parents' room where my mom was. I couldn't face it. I could not see her like that, not yet. I sat in my mom's extra room and sat there with my aunts, told them that I couldn't do it, I just couldn't go in there yet. They gave me words of advice and love and support and comfort, and I don't exactly remember what they were, but I knew that I was going to have to do this. After a little while longer of delaying, I got up with my family and I went into my parents' room. And I laid on the bed next to my mom and I cried hysterically. I was screaming. I had never cried so hard in my life. It was uncontrollable. It was primal. It was pure emotion. This is not how this was supposed to be. This was not how this is supposed to happen. I couldn't stop sobbing. I was absolutely hysterical. Kyle, hon, they're pulling up and you're going to pass out, my Aunt Kathy said. She was referring to the funeral home professionals who were going to take mom. I don't remember which, but one of my family members had come over to help me up off the bed. And Aunt Kathy wasn't being rude or inconsiderate. I was literally crying so hysterically that I was within a minute or two at max of actually passing out from wailing and sobbing so hysterically. I didn't know what to do. My entire world had broken apart. My heart had been ripped from my chest. And now the wonderful gentlemen from the funeral home were coming up the stairs to take mom away. What do I do now? Where do I go? Do I go home? Do I go somewhere else? What, what am I supposed to do now? For the first time in my life, mom wasn't on this earth with me. And just like that, the world had become darker. And just like that, 
the world was unsafe. And just like that, Mom was gone. Notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. After some time crying with and talking with my family, I eventually went home. I had been renting Kim's house, and now that my mom had passed just a few months before, Kim had moved back into her home after living with my mom for years to assist her. Kim and I met back at the house, and we talked for a bit. Tears, of course. 
kind of confusion. What do you say? You just kind of exist. But I needed sleep. I was so drained, so stunned, so confused. I hadn't even processed it yet, really. I couldn't process a world without my mom. It's not something that was registering with my brain or my heart. Kim and I finished talking and hugged and kissed, and I went into my room with Blue and got in my bed under the covers and turned the lights out, and I just slept for hours. Dad eventually called, and I woke up and picked up. Earlier at my parents' house, we had talked about planning on having dinner together, so he was calling about that. He came over to our house, and we ordered pizza, and Kim and me and my dad, we just ate together. My first meal without my mom in this world. I know it seems silly, but everything I was doing, I couldn't help but think that. It's been four hours since mom's been gone. It's been eight hours. Everything I was doing or thinking was in relation to mom. This was uncharted waters for me. I didn't know a world without mom. I didn't want to know a world without mom. But here I was, forced to live in that world. My phone was ringing constantly as news spread about mom. Phone calls, text messages, tweets, Instagram messages, Facebook messenger, emails, voicemails. I wanted to talk to every single one of them, but I couldn't talk to any of them. I couldn't talk about it. It made it too real. What do you say? She's gone. What else is there to say? I'd try to send a text back as I could, thanking them for their support and love. I'm sure I missed responding to every single one of them, and I'm sorry for that, but I was just trying to survive minute by minute, second by second. The next couple of days, I continued to just go through the motions. I was obviously in shock, in disbelief. None of it felt real at all. It felt like mom was at the hospital and she'd be home soon. There's no other context that my brain could relate to. That's, that's what it was for me. It was just like mom was at the hospital. But life just wasn't the same. Life is harder. Life is scarier. A few days before she had passed, Mom had asked me to sing The Rose for her at her funeral. She had always loved when I sang, and she loved that song so much that in her final days, she asked me to write her eulogy, and she asked me to sing The Rose. I recorded me singing it for her into my phone and sent it to her, and my dad said that she would just keep playing it over and over and over again. I had asked my good friend Jordan Demarest, who's an incredibly talented musician, to play guitar for me because I certainly couldn't do that and sing and the eulogy at the funeral. So he met me at my parents' house to rehearse a guitar version of the song. Dad had said he'd like to sit in with us if that was okay. And of course, that 
wasn't a problem. I wanted to spend time with Dad, too. One half of my two parents had just been torn from me, torn from my life, torn from my world. And I'm terrified of losing the other. And of course, I knew how important it was for Dad and I to remain close and to lean on each other through the pain of Mom's passing, not just today, but for the rest of our lives. This is going to leave a scar. This is going to leave a really big scar. And Dad and I would have each other to lean on. Doing it this way, we got to sit in my parents' living room that I had sat in thousands of times before, and I'd be singing as Mom would love, especially as it's a song that she picked. Jordan and I rehearsed a few times, and Dad sat quietly listening in the chair he always sat in. I sat on the couch Mom always sat in, and we ran through the song a few times. I thought to myself, I have no idea how I'm going to pull this off, but I'm going to pull it off. I have to for her. Over the next few days, we were getting things ready for the private viewing we were having as well as for the funeral. Thankfully, there wasn't a ton to get done because my parents had long planned what they wanted for their end of life and how it was to all be done. And that really seemed to make it so much easier. To this day, I'm not even sure how much of a part of that process I really was. I, I don't remember. I remember doing some odds and ends for this or that, but it really is just one big blur, like I wasn't even there. I remember the day after she passed, I had to write her obituary. I must have written it 20 times. It took hours and hours and hours. I remember stopping and saying, how am I writing this? How am I writing mom's obituary? This has to be a nightmare. But even if it was my literal nightmare, and I was living in that nightmare that I'm hoping to wake up from, still, that obituary had to be written. On this morning in March, Joanne McMahon passed away peacefully at her home. She was born to James and Catherine. She attended Corpus Christi grade school and Conrad High School. She worked for decades at St. Francis Hospital before starting her own business teaching dance. Joanne was a strong woman with a huge heart who loved nothing more than to be with her family and friends. Her sense of humor, her love of dance, and her selfless nature were on exhibit by the many dances she organized for charity. Her intuition and forethought were unmatched. She was a devoted daughter, a devoted wife, exemplary mother, loving sister, aunt, cousin, and best friend. Always generous to a fault. She loved going to musicals at Three Little Bakers and the Playhouse, and of course she loved oldies line dancing. 
She loved all things Irish, and she supported her husband throughout his naval career. Her home with her beloved husband, Captain Don, United States Navy, was always open to family and the numerous close friends who were also her family. Their son, Kyle, was the joy of her life and always the center of her world. Joanne loved music of all types, especially oldies. She enjoyed scrapbooking and genealogy. She was a wonderful interior decorator. Joanne was preceded in death by her parents, her grandmother and grandfather. She is survived by her husband, her son, her sisters, her brother, her nephews, her niece, her great-nephew, her great-niece, her aunt, and her second son, Jason, and their son, JJ, as well as numerous cousins, her granddog, Blue, and many, many close friends. In lieu of flowers, please consider a donation in Joanne's memory to the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today 
and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. How? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to survive this? How do you handle grief like this? How do you get through the day? How do you get through tomorrow? How do you get through at all? I wanted to know, how do we do these things? How does anybody do it when you lose somebody you love so much? When we come back, I speak with Dr. Ken Doka, Senior Vice President for Grief Programs at the Hospice Foundation of America. We dive into grief and how you can get through when we come back. Dr. Kenneth Doka is a licensed mental health counselor and one of the country's preeminent experts in grief. He is the senior vice president for grief programs for the Hospice Foundation of America and one of the authors of the text Dying and Death life and living he's also written books like when we die extraordinary experiences at life's end living with grief and grief is a journey finding your pathway through loss i wanted to talk to dr doka because of his wide swath of knowledge on grief over decades he has studied grief and grieving and loss and with the hospice foundation of america has stared at directly in the face. And Dr. Doka is a pretty happy man. I traveled to Poughkeepsie, New York to speak with him, and he just has a gentle, kind manner about him. So my first question, of course, was, how do you do this? You know, how do you talk with people about such heavy topics about their lives? And how do you do it while staying positive and quote-unquote normal? Here's what Dr. Doka had to say. I guess we can always define what normal right. is and spend a lot of time looking at that one. I think if you're going to survive in the field, you have to develop that. And I think um, some good things have come out of it. I think I'm much more sensitive to the issue of unfinished business. You know, so if, uh, uh, if I have a fight with somebody, I really try to resolve it, which was always a family value right on the bat. I don't want to leave a lot of unfinished business. I uh, just was talking to a client whose sister had died. Um, they hadn't spoken to each other in 15 years, and now she had a lot of regrets. Now, I've never been in that situation. And then the second thing is it, it kind of um, really allows you to understand um, the fragility of time. So, you know, I think in one, many ways it's enhanced it. Uh, there's a film we used to watch. I used to watch in my classes about a guy named Albro who's, who's dying, and he talks about the fact that he's dying in his late 50s. He just really worked his whole life, and he never 
did anything. He was always going to do it when he retired, you know, and I, that, I always remember that film, and uh, he bitterly says, what did I do? Instead of going to a movie, I cleaned the house. So um, I got somebody else to clean the house, and I'll go to the movie. Yeah, yeah. So you're an author of, you know, many books that you've done. You know, you're a public speaker. You're an expert in this field. For grief, one of your books, and I love this, one of your books talks about how grief is not a linear five-step or whatever it is, seven-step process, and, you know, and then it's done. In fact, your book is called Grief is a Journey. Can can you talk a little bit about that? What does that mean, that grief is a sure. journey? Um, one of the, you know, in, in many ways, we owe Kubler-Ross a, a great debt. She was the uh, first, she really, even though she wasn't the first person doing research in the field, hers was the first popular book that came out uh, and sold to a wide audience and broadened our conversation about death and dying. Uh, and actually, Kubler-Ross wasn't even talking about grief. She was talking about dying, the dying process. And, and I think she taught us some important lessons. One is to listen to dying people, and the other one is, uh, you know, not to pretend that people don't die. Um, but I think the stage theory ultimately did us a little bit of a disservice because it's become so popular now, and it was applied to grief where it was never meant to be applied, uh, at least in the beginning, and has become almost a kind of... Uh, you know, grief is very individual, very unique to every person. We all have very distinct relationships. Um, I don't know about the relationship between your family or, you know, but if you have a mother and a father, you may grieve their deaths differently because they had different roles in your life, different places in your life. So I like to say it's a very, very individual journey. And, you know, there's no, you're going to go through a lot of different kinds of reactions, some emotional, anger, sadness, guilt, what have you, some cognitive, some behavioral, affect you physically, affect you spiritually. Uh, and each of us will have our own set of manifestations and we'll go through our journey in our own way, in our own time. I love that so much. You know, it's, it's uh, just... The truth. It's a truth bomb. <laughs> how, you know, how do you know when it is healthy grieving or, or it's unhealthy grieving? If there even is such a thing as unhealthy grieving, how, how do you know if this is healthy or not? Yeah, not words that I prefer to use, but certainly we can talk about a, a process of what most people can typically expect in their grieving. And certainly we can also talk about the fact that grieving can morph into depression, it can morph into a you know, an adjustment disorder, a separation anxiety, it can morph into a lot of different things. And, and again, to me, the key signs are um, that for most people, I would say the, um, I look at grief as kind of a roller coaster. You have to be careful with that. Uh, you know, I always joke with my class when I taught grief counseling about being careful on metaphors. So if I were say to you, have you ever been on a roller coaster before? And you said, oh, I used to love them as a kid. Uh, I'd say, yeah, well, grief is kind of a roller coaster. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have ups and downs. But then if you said to me, no, I was dreadful. Uh, I never... scared the life out of me. I wouldn't say well, grief is like a roller coaster. I'd use another metaphor. But here's what I would be looking for. Using that roller coaster metaphor... Most people, over time, say, maybe a year, maybe two, say, I still have my ups and downs. They're not as severe as they were a year ago. They don't last as long. They don't go as far down as they used to. And that, to me, is, is a pretty saying, saying I'm doing well. The other thing, and I think the most important thing, 
is, you know, after a period of time, are you able to function in your key roles again? Are you able to, you know, go back to work, go back to school? Um, you know, it may not have the same pleasure for you, but you're still doing that. And that, I think, is an important sign. If you can't really function after a period of time, that really says you should get help. That really, certainly if you're using, if you're doing self-destructive things or other destructive things, that's a sign. So there are a variety of different signs of that grief has gone into more complicated forms and you should seek professional help. But those would be some of the key things that I'd be looking for. Thank you. And is it possible to, let me put it into my terms, you know, there were some people who told me as my mom passed away, you know, there'll be a day, you know, you don't miss her as much and it won't hurt as much. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's my mom. I'm always going to miss her. I'm always going to hurt. You know, that's never going to like go away. But one of my friends really kind of blew my mind when he said, you know, it doesn't get any better. It doesn't ever hurt less. You don't ever stop missing them. You just learn how to live with it. Yeah, I think that's not an unfair statement. I mean, again, we all, you know, we all have our own ways of dealing with it. And certainly what I would say to people is it's a lifelong journey. You know, most people, as I said, over time say, yeah, uh, the lows don't come as often. They don't last as long. They're not as bad. But, but even years later, you never get over it. You never get better. Even years later, you know, for instance, when you have your first child, maybe, uh, you'll say, I wish my mother were here to see this. Um, when my first grandchild was born, I dialed my father just because I think he, he would have really enjoyed, you know, the, my son named him after me. So that was very special to my father. And, and Michael was very special to my father. And, and as I started dialing, I said, wait a minute, he's been dead for 10 years now. You know, so, so that's very common. You're always going to have those surges of grief later in life. Matter of fact, my first thing when I do, last thing when I do counseling with a person is I talk about what some of those times might be. You know, just so, so you're aware that 10 years later when you have your child, you're saying, I, I, I don't know why I feel so bad. And then you'll say, oh, no, you know, I, I really wish I could share this with my mother. Yeah, you know, we had been talking before. I had mentioned that I bought my first house just a couple of months ago. And that was something, you know, my mom and I had always talked about she was going to help me decorate because I'm not, you know, good at that sort of thing. And um, uh, then, you know, she passed before that happened, before I actually made settlement. But and that was so, so hard for me because this is something I've been, you know, talking about my whole life. And then she's not, you know, physically there when it happens. But I tried to reframe it in some ways to say, look. Kyle, this is her close friend Karen's house that I that you bought. So my mom had actually been to the house a million times. So I'm like, wait, mom's been here before, you know, and the first thing I did when I bought that house and went to settlement, uh, I went to settlement and then went over to the house and put up a photo of us, you know, my family, my me, my mom and my dad. And then I went to work because I had a event that I had to go to. But, you know, trying to find ways to honor her in that space has helped me with that a little bit. You know, I have a garden that I made for her with her favorite flowers, like those kinds of things where I'm trying to, you know, keep her present and there in my house has has helped me a little bit. So 
what is the advice that you have for somebody when they go to have their first kid or they get married, you know, or uh, or whatever? Um, and that's a time you instinctively reach out for your mom or your father or, you know, whoever it is that you um, have lost. Um, just validate your grief. Uh, number one, just acknowledge it. And, you know, sometimes you can do some sort of ritual to acknowledge their presence symbolically. You know, uh, it's not unusual, for example, that people at holidays, those are times that we often experience a revival of grief, even in the joy, because we miss that person being there. But one of the things that we do in, in our house is um, when we decorate our Christmas tree uh, and my son and the grandchildren come over, the first three ornaments we put on are memorial ornaments uh, to my mother and father and then my godson's father. That's amazing. I love creating these kind of rituals, you know, like throughout your life that continue to keep them present and with you while honoring them too. I really love that. They're part of the holiday and we can acknowledge their presence and acknowledge that we miss them. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. It's, it's really a beautiful way to keep them present and with you. Uh, for somebody that's just has just lost somebody and has somebody that's close to them that they love that has just passed, where do they go in that immediate aftermath? What, what do they do, you know, to stop from sp- spiraling? Because for me, it was uh, it was hard not to sink really low in those first 24, 48 hours, week, month. Um, what do you do to not get yourself into that? or at least to, to try to keep from that spiral? Well, that's a hard question to answer because we're also very individual. And what might work, and, and when I used to lead a support group, I used to say one of the rules was you can't say what you should do. You can, you can say what I did and how it helped me, but you can't say here's what you should do. And, and I would tell people, you know, as you listen to people's, the ways that people cope, you know, ask yourself the question, would that work for me? Is that something I should try? Or it really is something that, that I find uncomfortable or, or the like. So I, I think the first rule is, you know, is to validate your grief and um, to recognize this is a tough period, to look for support, both internally. How does your spirituality come into play here? Uh, you had said you went through 12 years of Catholic mm-hmm. instruction. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how active you are or how practicing you are now, but certainly it'd be a legitimate question to ask yourself or for me to ask you, okay, you have this faith system. How does it speak to you? Mm. Does it speak to you at all? And in what ways? What messages is it giving you? And do you find comfort in that? And if you don't find comfort in that, what other messages might give you comfort? And then I would say also look at your external support system. One of the things that, that I've developed in counseling that's been widely replicated and it's one of my sort of like little tricks that's out there in the field is I would I would have you write down your support system write down all the names of people you could look for for support and then I would say now put a D next to all the people who are on that list who are good doers and these are people who if you need to arrive you know you can count on them they'll give it to you and then put an L next to the people who are good listeners you can call them at three o'clock in the morning and they'll be honored that you called them and then put an R next to respite people um, I'll say grief is hard work, and just like any hard work, you need time off. And these are the people you can go out to dinner with, go out to a movie, and they're never going to ask you how are you doing right. because they hope against hope that you're not going to talk about right. it. But that's their gift. You know, they give you time away. And when, I find when I do that with people, 
People realize I'm not using, one, I'm not using my support system well, and they begin to accept the gift that respite people give them because it's really pissing them off. It's really annoying them. Never said anything about my mother since the, like the day of the funeral, you know, or never said anything about my father or my spouse or my child. But that's, that's what they do. They give you time away. Wow, that's really, that's, uh, that's really insightful. You know, it's interesting um, because I have a close friend of mine who didn't come to the funeral. And I mean, he had been to my parents' house, all kinds of, you know, uh, functions. And he knew my mom really well. And, and I'm like, what do you mean you're not coming? And he's like, oh, I don't do that stuff with like people crying and stuff. I do things in my own way. And that's not one of them. And, uh, you know, I took that very personally because I'm like, uh, what do you mean? Like everybody is coming. So, you know, you actually just gave me some insight into the fact that he has been there in other ways for me since then. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he may just or he clearly is just the type of person that functionally doesn't want to talk about that stuff, can't talk about that stuff, you know? So I, I really love that. Thank you so much for that. W with the support system uh, that you're able to call on when you need that strength, when you need it. Exactly. So, you know, as, uh, as one person, one of my clients once said, when I did this exercise, I was asking my doers to listen and getting frustrated because I wasn't being heard and my listeners to do. Uh, and I was getting frustrated because nothing was done. Learn to make the shift. Wow, that's awesome. That's really powerful. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if... no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, 
and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. For people in, you know, as they move on their grieving journey, how can you kind of like check yourself? You know, for me, the example, how can I check myself to make sure that I'm on? And again, I hate using these terms because, as you said, it's a it's a journey and that journey is different for everyone. But how can I check in with myself and make sure that I'm in a healthy place, a good place, considering the the circumstances? Do I bounce it off family like, you know? where I am that day or that week? Do I make a checklist? Well, you know, I think there are a couple of things there. And the answer is, first of all, don't expect to always be in a good place. You know, that part of the, the journey is just like you're walking on, uh, on a trail. Some sections of that trail are going to be relatively easier and some are going to be more strenuous, you know, and, and that's going to be the same thing with your grief. You're not always going to be in the place you'd like to be. But I think overall to ask yourself, um, as I look at this process, where am I? Am, am, I, am I able to function? Um, am I engaged in good self-care? Am I engaged in self-destructive or other destructive behaviors? Um, you know, those are questions to consider. You know, and it's also people not only cope with grief, they sometimes grow from grief. You, you know, you, you learn new talents, new abilities. You take on new roles. You realize different ways of being independent that you hadn't realized. So that's, you know, we, we also experience growth. Wow. Yeah, that's very true. There's, you know, even though you're grieving, there are areas that you can grow while also grieving. Grow as a, you know, person, personally develop yourself. Yeah. So in regards to your career, I mean, I know you've dealt with a lot of death and dying on both ends up to people that are, you know, going to pass people that are dealing with the aftermath of somebody that has passed. What, um, what have you found in all of the people that you've worked with and all of the research that you've that you've done? What are some what are some truths that you found in working with all of these people in, in various facets of grief and loss and death? Um, this is a hard question. I'm not sure that I know the answer to that. I, I would certainly say um, that one truth is, again, that it's a, a very, very individual process. Uh, I think another truth is that um, it's not a romantic process. Some people, you know, kind of uh, death is the final stage of growth. I don't want to grow soon, that soon, you know. Uh, so I, I think we have to be careful of that, of over-romanticizing the dying process or the death process. I guess the biggest truth I've learned is, you know, people say, well, what are the stages and what affects you? And, and the answer is uh, the best lesson I ever had was from a teacher of mine, uh, Constantina Sevilius Rothschild, in graduate school. And she one day looked at the class, and she was from Greece or something, and she had this Eastern European accent. 
And she said, I can tell each of you how you're going to die. Would you like to know how you're going to die? And I almost thought you were like in a medium. Right. You know, she's going to say, don't take the throwaway home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but what she said was really a great truth. And I think it goes for dying and bereavement. She says, look at the way you deal with crisis. And the way you deal with crisis is the way you'll deal with the crises that you experience at the end of life. If you're an angry person, you're going to die angry. You're going to grieve angry. I always joke that I, I had a lovely brother-in-law, my, my sister's husband. And, um, but one of the things that, that he was just so soft-spoken and so apologetic that, you know, like if I, if, he, if I came back from a trip and he said, how was your trip? And I said, oh, we hit some turbulence. He'd, he'd look at me and apologize. I'm really sorry. You know, I said, why, were you in the plane? You know, <laughs> you, know uh, you have control of the winds, you right. know. Uh, um, and, you know, and I, I knew, you know, his last words were essentially apologizing for dying at an inconvenient time and, you know, having his kids come up all the way to Pennsylvania to be with him. Uh, you know, it was classic. Uh, and that's how we are. We, you know, we die and grieve the ways we live and the ways we cope. That's probably the best truth. Wow. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's uh, really incredible. Um, say I'm diagnosed with uh, terminal illness. Are there any steps that, you know, you suggest that I should take or, you know, a person in that situation, either for the benefit of themselves and, you know, their loved ones, too, to, to remember? You know, what steps do you suggest? And I, I know it's individual. Well, I would say, you know, um, review your, your end-of-life wishes with your family. I, I would say, you know, make the final preparations. Choose your surrogates, but always allow them to be their own person. If you look at the New York State Attorney General's manual about end-of-life decision-making, he'll say, uh, choose a surrogate who's going to do what you want to do. I chose my son as a, my surrogate. He's my only son. I chose him as my surrogate. I suspect he's going to keep me alive longer than I would originally like to be. But the way I figure it is that's my last sacrifice for my son. And, and for me to say, well, I'm going to choose some other person as a surrogate, I don't want my last message to my son to be, I don't trust you. You know, and, you know, and I've told him, you know, do what, you know, here are my wishes. You know what they are. But in the end, you have to make the decisions and make the decisions that, are going to, that you're going to be able to, to walk out with and say, I'm comfortable. You know, when my mother was dying, one of the emergency, not emergency rooms, one of the intensive, she was in intensive care, she took a bad fall in her late 80s. And one of the people, you know, one of the, I guess, interns or residents came over and said, well, you know, your mother has a very clear set of of directives. And I said, yeah, I know, I helped her write them. (laughs) You know, uh, I know what, what the directives are. And he says, well, I think we should terminate treatment. And, you know, and my brother and sister and I said, Let's, let's give her a day. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's wait a day. And, and the next day she died naturally, which I think was, was easier on us. And I don't think it was that, you know. And I think if we would ask my mom, was that okay? She would have said, yeah, you know, ultimately. And so that's the message I've given to my son. And, and again, some people disagree with that. You know, you make those decisions. But I've always had a theory of ethics at end of life that a, a friend of mine, Bruce Jennings, has written about which he, he called the social ecological perspective, which means you have to look at how these decisions are going to affect the survivors. And that's always been very important to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, you know, that's a beautiful message that, you know, that you've given both to your son and to 
you know, y- yourself, really. So thank you so much for sharing that with me. And, and that brings up an interesting thing, you know, in regards to ethics that were, and I'm using this as my experience, but, you know, questioning it in a broader experience. You know, there were decisions that my mom made in her cancer journey that I wouldn't have, you know, made for myself. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't have made for her. And, you know, I tried to remember, Kyle, it's not your journey. This is her cancer journey. She has to do it the way she wants. How do you deal with that? What is a good way to deal with those kinds of issues where I want her to do X and she wants to do Y? How do you remind yourself that these aren't my decisions, even if you think it's in her best interest, you know, your loved one's best interest? What's a good way to deal with those kinds of issues for both the loved one and the person, you know, um, going through it. So in other words, if there's an ethical disagreement. Yes. For, so for instance, you know, my mom had stated at one point, if it gets to X point, I don't want to do treatments anymore because, you know, I want to live out uh, the rest of my days without radiation or chemo or, or uh, whatever. And I'm like, no. You're going to do whatever it takes. I'm, I want to save your life, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. at the end of the day, it's not, it's not my call. It's not my body. It's, you know, uh, not my journey. How does somebody in this situation, like I was in, how do they deal with those disagreements where it's like, no, you're my mom and I want you to do everything you can to live and blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I think it's just being open to it. Um, uh, I think it's 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 good communication with the person, you know what what makes you make these decisions. I think it involves good decision making with the physicians, mm-hmm. where you you say you know what are the you, you really get the information, but I think it's important that you you ultimately make decisions that you can live with, even if it takes some time. As I said, with with my mother, I'm sure they wanted to clear the bed, but you know we we weren't there yet. Right, and um, you know and I. I figured, you know, as I said, I, I know what my mother had said in her advanced directives, but we needed time. Right. And then how how about on the other end? You had mentioned that, you know, there are people that have guilt for things that they didn't say or, or whatever. You know, I didn't um, I never got to say I love them or whatever. And I, I'm so blessed that, uh, you know, my mom and I got to say everything we wanted to say 10 times over. But there are people, as you know, who are. Uh, afraid of of saying it or they're in estranged relationships or whatever how how do you like how do you deal with that i think the question is first of all to find a way to say it even if it's going to the grave and you know reading a a letter that you've written in uh and burning it at the graveside or you know doing some kind of ritual um there's a ritual internal self i think um but the but the technique is a variation of the the empty chair. So I'd say, pretend your mother's over there and tell her what you want to tell her. And then I would say, okay, now sit in that chair. Uh, you have an internalized sense of your mother. Uh, what would she say to you? And, and that really works. Um, I had one 13-year-old boy whose um, father had died in, in, in maybe a year before when he was about 12 or even 11. And uh, he, had, he had an unfinished business. His, the last day he had visited his father, he was very uncomfortable visiting his dad because his dad was emaciated by cancer, was not the person that, that he remembered. And the dad asked for a hug and a kiss before he left the hospital room. And he had some, you know, a sports, I think a basketball practice. And 
just wanted to get out for a lot of reasons. And then the father died that night, and he felt very, very bad. And so now he's in counseling, and, and I had him do that. I said, I want you to look at that and, and tell your dad what you wanted to say. And he very tearfully responded that, you know, he's sorry he walked out so quickly. And I said, now sit in that chair and tell what your dad would say to you. And he got in the chair. All of a sudden he turned and he said, is that what's been bothering you for two years, Spore? And started laughing and said, that's exactly what my dad would have said. You know, is, is that what's bothering you for two years, kid? I know you love me. <laughs> wow. It's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. That's him saying that to himself. Yeah. But knowing that's what his dad would have said. Absolutely. You know, and I, as you were saying that, I'm thinking of like, if that had happened with my mom and, you know, for an instant, you know, the last day my mom was with us, I, I said, mom, I'm sorry for that time that I said, I hated you. You know, the times I said, I hated you when I was little, you know, and, and I'm sorry for, you know, that time I was, uh, whatever mean and blah, 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 blah. And she was like, Kyle, <laughs> I'm not thinking of any of that, you know? Yeah. She was like, that wasn't even uh, on my radar at all. <laughs> that wasn't even the game, yeah. Mind. I think we yeah, as loved it. ones of those people hold that, you know? So that that's an incredible way to channel that. Um, all, all of the work that you've done over decades, all of the people that you've counseled and mentored and helped and the stuff that you've, you know, gone through yourself, uh, the books you've written, the research you've done, the the studies. What do you, Doctor Doka? What you know? What do you want people to know about grief? That you can't hide from it. That you're not going to get over it. That you've got to learn to live with it, and that you can grow from it. Wow. You can't hide from it. You're not going to get over it. You've got to learn to live with it, and. You can grow from it. Powerful, powerful words from Dr. Kenneth Doka. And it's sort of comforting to know that this isn't something that I'll ever get over. How do you ever get over the death of a loved one? How do you ever get over the death of your mom? You don't. But I can't hide from that. I'm not going to get over that. I've got to learn to live with it. But I can grow from it. Thank you, Dr. Doka. Next time on Death, Grief, and Other Shit We Don't Discuss, Viewings, Funerals, and Other Death Rituals. I could not go into my mom's private viewing. I could not deal with that finality. But did I? Then, I talk with Todd Harra, Vice President at McCreary and Harra Funeral Homes and Crematory, and Amazon best-selling author of Last Rites, The Evolution of the American Funeral. We dive headfirst into the traditions of viewings and funerals and end-of-life care throughout history. If you haven't, please check out our website at deathandgrief.show. We have a wealth of resources and handouts that will help you for each topic covered on every episode of the series, with videos, books, blog pieces, and more, all designed to help you further dive into these topics. I'm going there. 
Summer's hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 